Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rounding the News. My name is Liam Sturgis, and I host a weekly news roundup uh, podcast here with Rounding the Earth. And I'm really excited to be bringing you guys a slightly different formula this time around. Without further ado, let's jump right into it. I've prepared a presentation for you all, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed putting it together. So this is Rounding the Earth News Roundup, and here are the major items we're going to cover today. Item number one, monkeypox is now a public health emergency in the United States, declares the Biden-Harris White House. I guess we saw that one coming. And secondly, censorship on big tech platforms accelerates as direct government collusion with social media giants is confirmed. So again, this is something I think we're all very aware uh, is going on. Um, and before we jump into those two big issues, I want to do a brief summary of a couple of cool events. So this is a newsletter I received from the Canadian COVID Care Alliance. And you may see down here on the bottom left-hand side, Rounding the Earth podcast is featured. Uh, Stephen Pellick being the chair of the, or the co-chair of the Science and Medical Advisory Committee. Uh, obviously, it is of interest to the CCCA that this podcast be publicized. So they did that. Very big thank you to them, to the Canadian COVID Care Alliance. This is the page that they direct people to on Spotify. And if you don't know, the Rounding the Earth podcast is indeed on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Oh, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, all the places you might go to listen. The second item they feature in that newsletter that I found to be very uh, compelling is this is an article by Vitality, the trusted source for natural health solutions since 1989. Now, for those who don't know, I as well, being a member of the Canadian COVID Care Alliance, had the opportunity to travel out to Toronto, Ontario at the end of June to participate in an event called a citizen's hearing, where we uh, followed in the footsteps of uh, Senator Malcolm Roberts in Australia and Senator Ron Johnson in the United States of America. And we held an open, free, um, uh, science-based, honest discussion where we heard from some 60 panelists, or sorry, 60 uh, uh, presenters to a panel of three people. And uh, I just wanted to bring this up because this was a fantastic article. And if you want to go and dive deeper into a citizen's hearing, there's a number of very awesome people who participated either as speakers or as panelists. As you can see, we've got Julie Panessi down there, Preston Manning, uh, Irvin Student, Dr. Stephen Pellick, of course, Deanna McLeod, who was behind the More Harm Than Good video, as well as... Uh, a number of other wonderful presenters. So that's that. Moving on to item number one, censorship. Something we've all become very familiar with and for many of us actually experienced a lot over the last two years, especially. So let's take a look. What are we dealing with today? Item one, it's true. Our good friend, Jessica Rose, has been censored off of Twitter, seemingly permanently, unfortunately. Item number two, Chris Martinson receives a YouTube strike, and this is not his first one, but it, you may be surprised at what he was struck for. I'm just going to very briefly adjust my camera definition to make sure we have a good connection. Thank you for bearing with me. All right, and then item number three, as I alluded to earlier, there is now evidence 
that the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have a direct relationship with various social media companies such as Twitter and Facebook in order to determine what to censor and what not to censor. And you'll see why this is news compared to what we were already familiar with in a moment. So moving ahead here, let's see. Jessica had put out a number of Substack articles. She had sent out some emails. I received one where she asked her colleagues to make a big deal about the fact that she had been temporarily suspended off of Twitter. So let's read this here. Make this go viral, please. It is bloody offensive that they are claiming that the death of a 13-year-old child with no pre-existing conditions that occurred days after a shot is misleading. As she describes here on August 2nd, Twitter had temporarily, quote-unquote, temporarily limited some of your account features because she had violated Twitter's policy on spreading misleading and potentially harmful information related to COVID-19. Okay, the tweet in question read, death is a side effect of the shots. No pre-existing conditions in this little girl, the one who unfortunately died. No COVID? The irony is lost on me. Stop injecting yourselves and your children. Watch out for syncope, passing out, as a precursor to cardiac arrest from prolonged ventricular tachycardia. Now, of course, Jessica Rose is a professional. She is uh, qualified to speak on various issues. And I would argue this falls into that category. So I, I agree. It's a bit offensive that she's un, uh, unwelcome on a platform that allegedly uh, wants you to listen to the professionals. This is the second one that came out the very following day. Jessica posts, this is proof that Twitter is captured. I got booted again, she says. Because German law didn't like me asking Lindsay not to forgive me. Or sorry, not to forget me. With a smiley face. In reference to getting booted yesterday for posting CDC slash FDA data. Once again, temporary limited, temporarily limited some of her account features. And the same issue. For violating their policy on spreading misleading and potentially harmful information related to COVID-19. Well... Where did this go from there? Well, this is, of course, the um, this she posted a screenshot of the message she, she received. Read this. Tell me how I can sue them. Hello, Twitter is required by German law to provide notice to users who are reported by people from Germany. Interesting. Via the Network Enforcement Act reporting flow. And they had received a complaint. Indeed. We have investigated the reported content and have found that it is not subject to removal under the Twitter rules or German law. Now, I don't actually understand at what point of the process this occurred. Was this at the point that Jessica was then reinstated for the final time? Because yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, there's a part three to this story. A third act, you might say. Her headline reads, game over. I didn't even get to make a final post. Quoting Jessica, I literally have no idea what the hell this is talking about. I didn't even log in since the last time I posted. It's wicked. Someone is working really hard to keep that space a festering cesspool. Good riddance. And it looks as though her account has been suspended, but not necessarily deactivated. Meaning, to those who aren't aware... They may look at her account and see, oh, she just hasn't posted in a while. Jessica's decided to give up on this whole COVID nonsense. When in reality, she can't access her account at all to issue any kind of statement. 
informing her listeners that she will in fact or her her audience her followers that she will in fact not be posting on twitter anymore which i would say would be the courteous thing for twitter to allow her to do and this time she was she was suspended for allegedly violating rules against ban evasion but she had not been suspended prior to this so very confusing <sighs> and it's true this is what she sees on her side okay your account is permanently suspended. After careful review, we determined your account broke the Twitter rules. Your account is permanently in read-only mode. At a minimum, it's nice that they seem to more or less archive it, so it doesn't wipe everything she said before. But it means she can't tweet, retweet, or like content. Won't be able to create new accounts. I wonder if she will submit an appeal. But we support Jessica, uh, rounding the earth, and myself personally. And I, I think Matthew would agree. We think we find Jessica to be a very honest person, a very reliable source. She was one of our very first guests on our roundtable series. So we have no reason to doubt the authenticity of her statements. We have no reason to doubt. Uh, and in fact, no one should have any reason to doubt the validity of her statements because she cites all her sources whenever she makes any kind of statement that requires a source to be cited. So this is quite clearly a system that's breaking because once again, not for the first time, Chris Martinson, popular YouTuber, is censored again. Quoting him from July 19th, so it has been a little bit, but this is still very relevant, okay? Well, we just received a YouTube strike for allegedly spreading medical disinformation. This means we are unable to post anything for a week to our channel and raises the prospect of losing the entire channel permanently. My crime? medical misinformation this is serious chris martinson while not necessarily a, a physician or a practicing medical doctor is academically qualified to speak on a number of issues and once again the line that's being drawn between who can speak and who cannot is really strange you have people who have no qualifications whatsoever who may even frankly at this rate may even not be real people but there's obviously real people as well who make statements that so long as they are aligned with how shall we say this the institutional narrative they don't have any problem even if what they say is factually false they don't have any problem staying online but you have trained professionals in various fields who are not allowed to even bring guests on to discuss certain other issues a youtube strike no content this week and what's interesting is this video in question was titled Farmer Rebellion, which is something we've covered as well. I believe it was last week about in the Netherlands and in Canada, how there are sustainable development uh, goals being implemented to reduce the carbon or, or rather the nitrogen use in fertilizer. Now, the issue with his content allegedly was medical misinformation. YouTube doesn't allow claims about COVID-19 vaccinations that contradict expert consensus from local health authorities or the World Health Organization. So presumably he did bring up the topic of COVID-19 vaccines during the show. I don't imagine they would go so far as to as to just make that up, though I, I think it probably has happened. But this is interesting because this statement at the bottom implies that local health authorities, of which there are thousands upon thousands worldwide, 
and the World Health Organization, of which there's a single entity, this presumes that they are in agreement. I don't think that's true at all. So what happens with this policy if YouTube evaluates, oh, well, you broke the rules of the WHO, you, you went against their messaging on COVID-19 vaccines? What happens if, for example, here, Vancouver Coastal Health, which is my local health authority, what if they disagree? And in fact, they have made statements. They've written explicit letters to businesses and academia here saying that they disagree with certain actions being taken. And those actions, in some cases, were based on World Health Organization guidance. And of course, sometimes it goes the complete opposite way. But my point is, how is this, how is this a reasonable policy? Let me know in the comments. <laughs> Moving on, this is another, this came off of a prior strike that he had received. Censored, the informed consent interview with Dr. Pierre Corey. That one was uh, removed for violating their medical misinformation policy. Now, as most of our audience will know, maybe some don't, Dr. Pierre Corey is a practicing physician. He's one of the leads of the frontline COVID Critical Care Alliance, the FLCCC, who are, frankly, the leading authority perhaps in the world on treating COVID-19, as well as long COVID and vaccine injury. So he sort of is the expert. He sort of is, even if you don't want to assign a single person as the expert, which I would not, it doesn't get much better than Dr. Pierre Corey. But this was censored for medical misinformation. And once again, YouTube doesn't allow claims about COVID-19 vaccinations that contradict experts and yada, yada, yada. So this is relevant because Chris Martinson and the Peak Prosperity Project may very well lose their ability to post on YouTube. Now, to reiterate something we may have alluded to before here on Rounding the Earth, Matthew and I, when we were preparing to launch this weekly news show as well as our roundtables, we had to decide what we were going to do in terms of self-censorship or guiding our speech so as to avoid potentially violating some rules that we felt were perhaps maybe we didn't agree with. And what we came to was part of the reason we have such confusion these days is because people are not being allowed to participate in discussion when they disagree. And there's a lot of content on YouTube from well-intentioned people who sort of wind up compromising their message because they decide not to use certain words. And you know what? I, I don't even disrespect. I think that's one way to handle this situation we're in. You know, play within the confines of the space. It's sort of if you're invited into someone's home, you want to follow the rules. I get it. Problem is we're dealing with life and death. And at a certain point, Matthew and I decided, you know what, if we're saying something, just like I mentioned with Jessica Rose earlier, if we're saying something, we're going to back it up. You might notice at the bottom of each slide here, every single one, there are links. And these links are the source of the particular statement that I'm making at a given time. And this slideshow is going to be available for anyone who wants it. So those links, you can click through and confirm or refute what I'm asserting. 
So as such, we decided to not self-censor. We decided if we're going to talk about something that's within the, you know, within the correct context of our show, we're just going to do it. And should YouTube decide or any other platform decide that what we've said is wrong think, then there are avenues to pursue at that time. But some people have made a lot of, uh, a lot of sacrifices. Uh, they've built their careers on YouTube as a platform. I was one of those people early on, and I was one of the first to be removed as a YouTube partner simply because I didn't have a big enough audience probably five or six years ago. So it's difficult for some people. If you're making your livelihood using YouTube as your primary platform and you're, you've got ad revenue and you can, you can get super chats, I can see that it's tough. But on August 1st, on Peak Prosperity Project, Chris Martinson discusses something very interesting. The headline is Twitter and CDC and Google and Facebook. And what we're starting to understand is, as far as speech policies go, these four entities may be a lot more aligned than we have been previously told. The DC insiders taking high-paying jobs with the big tech censors have been controlling the narrative not following the science should they face the consequences for their horrible actions. This is behind a paywall, so if you'd like to investigate this article further, you will be able to follow the link just below and sign up to Peak Prosperity Project. And I just want to point this out as well, because way back in December 2020, uh, 2020 The Hill, which is a mainstream news article, published this opinion piece, titled Twitter and Facebook to Censor Vaccine Discourse. This must stop. I'm just going to adjust this here so you can be sure to see the entirety of what I'm showing here. Twitter and Facebook suppressed the Hunter Biden scandal. They controlled what we could say about COVID-19. They stomped on reports of election fraud, none of which are the issue at hand at the moment. Now the social media behemoths are deciding what Americans can or cannot read about the new COVID-19 vaccines. This is unacceptable. It may even be dangerous. Earlier this month, Facebook promised to remove, quote, false claims about these vaccines that have been debunked by public health experts. They didn't specify which public health experts, but said they would update the claims we remove based on guidance from public health authorities as they learn more. Which is interesting because as the public health authorities who are not named or specified, learn more. Well, hold on, that implies that not everything is known yet at the time that they began rolling out these shots. So there's this strange double speak. They're allowed to be wrong. You're not even allowed to be right. Twitter just recently jumped on board saying that in 2021, they may label or place a warning on tweets that advanced unsubstantiated rumors, disputed claims, as well as incomplete or out of context information about vaccines. So I asked the audience, was what Jessica said unsubstantiated? Certainly it's disputed by some. Is it incomplete or out of context? I'll leave that to you to decide but let me know in the comments. Okay, moving forward. I wanna remind our viewers today that rather recently and rather briefly, there was this announcement of the creation of a disinformation governance board. Unfortunately, the Ministry of Truth title had been taken. I believe it was a copyright issue. So this political article from April 27, 
DHS, that's the, the, excuse me, that is the Department of Homeland Security, is standing up a new disinformation governance board to coordinate countering misinformation related to homeland security, focused specifically on irregular migration and Russia, two other issues that are not the subject at hand today. Nina Jankowitz will head the board as executive director. She previously was a disinformation fellow at the Wilson Center, which is a think tank, advised the Ukrainian foreign ministry as part of the Fulbright Public Policy Scholarship or Fellowship, excuse me, and oversaw Russia and Belarus programs at the National Democratic Institute, another think tank. We'll get into think tanks a little more at another time. This is following this announcement. This is what Nina Jankowitz had said on Twitter. Cat's out of the bag. Here's what I've been up to for the past two months and why I've been a bit quiet on here, referring to Twitter. Honored to be serving in the Biden administration, DHS Gov, and helping shape our counter disinformation efforts. She provides her poster or her portrait here, I should say. And just on the right here, I included both a supportive and a uh, critical response. First from Alex Rafoglu. Congrats, Nina. Excellent news. That is the positive one. And then the critical one from Daniel Villarreal. Villarreal. Spreading misinformation and till this day haven't corrected this info. Remember the government misinforms you the whole time. This is a slippery slope into what the government says is always true. Rather, this is a slippery slope into what the government says is always true would be a better way to emphasize that. Which history has shown us the government lies a lot? And references a tweet from Ms. Jankowitz, quote, back on the laptop from hell, apparently Biden notes 50 former NATSEC officials and five former CIA heads that believe the laptop is a Russian influence op. Trump says, Russia, Russia, Russia. Again, we're not getting into this particular issue today, but the, the factual basis for Ms. Jankowitz's tweet there turned out to be false. But it didn't work. How the Biden administration let right-wing attacks derail its disinformation efforts. A quick reminder that I would say it's a, it's a, it's a critical, or how should I say, it is a logical fallacy or an argumentative fallacy to simply blame those you disagree with, to, to brush them off as being on the other side of the political aisle. I assert and I invite those listening now to consider that none of these issues require us to be divided on the left-right political spectrum. And that for almost all of these, if not all of them, these can be looked at through a different lens. One that says we're all human beings. Some of us live in different countries, but we're all experiencing different versions of the same thing. And these issues are not something we have to be divided over. Who benefits from people blaming the right or the left? Who benefits? That is the open question. But indeed, three weeks after the announcement, the Disinformation Governance Board was paused. And now more recently, July 18, 2022, Homeland Security Advisors say there's no need for the Disinformation Governance Board. Department of Homeland Security advisors urged the agency Monday to scrap the disinformation governance board the Biden administration created this year, only to watch it implode amid confusion and partisan quarreling over its role. Now, I agree. It was partisan quarreling. 
A Homeland Security Advisory Council subcommittee concluded in a one-sentence draft recommendation that there was, quote, no need for the disinformation board, and the council endorsed the recommendation at its meeting. Jumping down to the bottom, quote, there is no need for a separate disinformation governance board, says Michael Chertoff. Now, going to the other side, of course, on the political aisle, we do, in fact, have the traditionally conservative media at Fox News with the headline, New York Times frets about the death of disinfo governance board, left openings for new waves of disinformation. And here's the concern. If there's a group to blame, generally, doesn't that then provide an opportunity uh, for further action to advance an agenda? I wonder. I am going to bring up this comment here from Dan Duo. I don't know, Liam. If you undergo gene therapy, are you still human? Hmm. That's a very interesting question. This may come down to a matter of opinion. In my opinion, yeah. And now keep in mind, Dan, and I, I appreciate the comment very much because I want to express yet another potential for division is between the vaxxed, the unvaxxed. We've already seen it. And it's been pushed on like a sore thumb. Just remember, you are either vaxxed or not. The truth is, no, no, no. What, the, the enemy is not those who chose to make a different medical decision than us. Gene therapy, I understand the premise, right? The human genome, like we, we, we evolve from different species. We branch off based on mutations uh, over a long period of time. So I, I get the premise that perhaps those who, whether it's this product or a different one, undergo a gene therapy, wouldn't that then suggest they've become something other than human? Perhaps advanced human or or, or, or sideways to humanity? I, I don't think so. I, I don't think so in terms of what I refer to when I'm talking about humanity. I mean the people around you. I mean every everybody. There's no exclusion to that. Um, but I, I think it is a matter of opinion. So Dan, I would welcome your answer to that question. Uh, and I think this is perhaps a good topic for a future roundtable to discuss the implications of gene therapy products, how they're the beginning of gene editing as a larger part of precision medicine, which is how it's being discussed. Just not necessarily to the faces of the people who took these products without knowing that as a matter of fact, they are gene therapy. Moving forward. It turns out there was no need for the Disinformation Governance Board. From the Washington Free Beacon, how the CDC coordinated with big tech to censor Americans. Boy, oh boy. Let's look into this, shall we? So, it turns out, as a result of disclosure in a court case, we find the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention coordinated with social media companies and Google to censor users who, who expressed skepticism or criticism of COVID-19 vaccines, according to a trove of internal communications obtained by America First Legal and shared exclusively with the Washington Free Beacon. Over the course of at least six months, starting in December 2020, 
CDC officials regularly communicated with personnel at Twitter, Facebook, and Google over vaccine misinformation. At various times, CDC officials would flag specific posts by users on social media platforms such as Twitter as example posts, which we're going to look at in a moment. In one email to a CDC staffer, a Twitter employee said he is, quote, looking forward to setting up regular chats with the agency. Other emails show the scheduling of meetings with the CDC over how best to police alleged misinformation about COVID-19 vaccines. Now, this should be obvious. Although many of the posts flagged by the CDC contain false information about the COVID-19 vaccines, let's be real, the efforts to police misinformation also resulted in mistaken acts of censorship. An April 2021 email from a CDC staffer to Facebook states that, quote, the algorithms that Facebook and other social media networks are apparently using to screen out posting by sources of vaccine misinformation are also apparently screening out valid public health messaging, including Wyoming Health Communications. Now, I can, I can attest to this. I responded six, seven, eight, nine months ago to a post asking why people had not received the COVID-19 vaccine. I had responded my personal I gave a personal answer that contained no factual statements other than what would be my own reasoning. And I'm not, I've chosen not to reveal to anybody whether I am or am not. But I provided an answer that apparently such a system as this found to be disinformation. And I was forced out of my Twitter account until I removed what was entirely a personal uh you could say, opinion-based post. So I know I'm not the only one. It's very similar to what Jessica Rose has gone through, though, of course, she uh, was more aggressively attacked. One email shows a senior CDC official appeared at Google's 2020 Trusted Media Summit. The conference, according to its website, was for journalists, fact-checkers, educators, researchers, and others who work in the area of fact-checking, verification, media literacy, and otherwise fighting misinformation. One of the organizers of the conference asked the CDC official to, uh, for permission to post her remarks on YouTube. The official declined, saying she was not authorized to speak publicly. Now, this is interesting. Many of you by now will have heard of the Trusted News Initiative. I know I have. The Trusted News Initiative, it turns out, folks. Oops, let's go back. The Trusted News Initiative was formed. It was officially announced following an event called the Trusted News Summit, convened by the British Broadcasting Corporation, the BBC. That was September 2019. And it's undergone a number of shifts. The Trusted News Initiative is what many people understand now is, is sort of the basis for why there's been an institutional censorship, uh, you know, across all media institutions. What we didn't know was that the CDC was there. I assume it's an annual conference. But the TNI, Trusted News Initiative, oops, I keep doing that, was officially started because there was election statements being made around India, and then it shifted in July 2020 to focus on disinformation about the upcoming 2020 presidential election in the U.S. And then, well, in March 2020, they had also talked about moving into COVID misinformation. And then finally, in December, 
they shifted again to combating the spread of, quote, harmful vaccine disinformation. But there you go. This is our Campfire Wiki page on the Trusted News Initiative. If you are still not familiar with this, please go check it out. The link is just down here at the bottom of this page. So there you go. It turns out the CDC is a, a quiet partner, an unofficial member of the Trusted News Initiative. Who'd have thought? Now, let's take a look at some of the emails in particular, okay? This is from uh, Carol Crawford at the CDC to Todd O'Boyle and his team at Twitter. Reading his email now. Todd, we wanted to point out two issues that we are seeing a great deal of misinfo about. Vaccine shedding and microchips. The below are just some example posts. We do plan to post something shortly to address vaccine shedding, and I can send you that link soon. Our census team copied here has much more info on it if needed. And here was the list she referenced. There's a number of highlighted ones, which I understand was highlighted by Carol to show Twitter what she was talking about. But you'll see included in this are three people that are particularly interesting. We have Ryan Christian, who goes by The Last American Vagabond. You can find him at www.thelastamericanvagabond.com. It is a wonderful resource. This is not an official endorsement or sponsorship, but to say that I personally, and I know Matthew personally, have very much found The Last American Vagabond to be an excellent source of information and certainly inspires me in how I try to deliver this show. So he's there. His at Yoral Dunce's account was suspended. Then you have Naomi Wolf, another individual many will be familiar with. She was also here and suspended. Lastly, Riza Islam who I know of because he's a member of the Disinformation Dozen, who some of you may be familiar with. He has also since been suspended. So what we see is systemic censorship that has, uh, we now see the beginning, the action of it, and the result, which is all of these people were identified and then censored. So the last American Vagabond, I specifically want to share, Ryan did a wonderful video on this exact topic where he points out that he was, in fact, on that list. And I highly recommend you go see it. And as you can see on the right here, as we try to do here, Ryan provides references for everything that he says. So go check it out. Now, we're already, once again, over half an hour. So I'm going to try to move a little quicker. But item number two, monkeypox emergency in the United States. It's true. Joe Biden and his administration have officially declared that in the United States, monkeypox constitutes a public health emergency. So here are the three items we're going to go through. First things first, the immediate implications. BBC News, U.S. declares outbreak a public health emergency. Monkeypox, a reading from the article, monkeypox can infect anyone, but the majority of cases in the U.S. outbreak have been among men who have sex with men, including gay and bisexual men, and people who identify as transgender. Now, I just want to remind listeners that I believe it was two weeks ago, maybe even last week, I pointed out the definition here is important because we've been in the last six months particularly engaged as a society in discussions about what it even means to be a man or a woman to do with evolving perceptions around transgender individuals, evolving uh, the way that laws are written around transgender individuals and everything in between. But in those instances, what that what that has left us with in the discussion is that it's tremendously ambiguous. If you say woman or man, it's not self-explanatory anymore, at least in certain contexts. And the problem is that allows language to be manipulated in cases like this. 
But this time, they do specifically mention people who identify as transgender. But does that mean men who identify as women? Does that mean women who identify as men? Because, again, this, this doesn't narrow the scope here. So what we have here is, once again, this double speak of this is simultaneously an issue that affects homosexual people, homosexual men, or bisexual, men who have sex with men. But also leaving it open such that it can be anybody who gets infected. And in fact, they say that. They say, let's see, where is it? Uh, it, it basically, it, 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 it repeatedly, not just here, but everywhere, it, it, they talk about how, yeah, it, it's primarily men who have sex with men, but don't think about it that way. And then they go and make a concerted effort to do extensive education and outreach to the LGBTQ community. So then what about everyone else that is apparently able to catch this virus? Ladies and gentlemen, if this is a serious issue, if this is a public health emergency that does not just affect men who have sex with men, then why are they also making an effort specifically to target this community and not others? But this is interesting, okay? Because possible change to how vaccine is administered. Health officials are considering changing the way monkeypox vaccine doses are administered because the country is, quote, at a critical infection point, inflection point, sorry, with the virus's spread. In recent days, it's become clear to all of us that given the continued spread of the virus, we are at a critical inflection point dictating the need for additional solutions to address the rise in infection rates, Caliph said. The goal has always been to vaccinate as many people as possible. Now, I could have told you that. Okay, here's the other interesting thing. The commissioner said officials are considering allowing healthcare providers to be able to use a dose-sharing method where one vial of Genios vaccine, that is the smallpox vaccine being used for monkeypox, previously used as one dose, will be used to administer up to five separate doses. This approach would change the way Genios is administered, Calif said. Instead of the vaccine being administered in the fat layer underneath the skin, it will be delivered underneath the skin layer. Now, I'm not interested in opining too much, maybe a little, but two things. A vial of Genios vaccine that was previously used as one dose, presumably this is the dosage that was approved or at the very least emergency use authorized. Instead of that, <laughs> split that in five. So now look, that can't possibly mean that the fifth of a dose will be as effective as the, as the full dose. And instead of being injected where it's supposed to be injected, at least in, in, in theory, based on how it's been going, they're going to now make it a little more shallow. It's going to be just below the skin. And you know why that's an issue? Or I ask, perhaps. Last week, we looked at how one of the issues that can arise from using these live virus vaccines is that members of the household of the vaccinated person can, as a matter of official documentation, possibly spread the virus itself to members of their household from the little eruption that occurs in the arm. So instead of the deep tissue being used as the injection point, they're pulling it back and putting it just under the surface of the skin. 
Now, I'm not asserting that that will cause the live virus to spread more. I couldn't possibly make that assertion. But that is a question that is open-ended to me. What is the basis for this decision? As monkeypox spreads, U.S. declares a health emergency. <sighs> you know, early on, I, I felt as though this was feeling an awful lot like the early days of, of the emergence of SARS-CoV-2. And the New York Times, at least, seems to agree. So Xavier Becerra, President Biden's health secretary, marks just the uh, or the declaration rather marks just the fifth such national emergency since 2001 and comes as the country remains in a state of emergency over the coronavirus pandemic, which we discussed last week. Mr. Becerra's announcement at an afternoon news briefing where he was joined by a raft of other top health officials gives federal agencies power to quickly direct money toward developing and evaluating vaccines and drugs. I thought they already had vaccines and drugs. Am I wrong? I thought we were just talking about vaccines being available. The World Health Organization, yeah, yeah, to gain access to emergency funding and to hire additional workers to manage the outbreak. In echoes of the early coronavirus response, tests have been difficult to obtain, surveillance has been spotty, and it has been challenging to get an accurate count of cases. The administration has also been faulted for not doing enough to educate people in the LGBTQ community who are at high risk before gay pride celebrations in June. Okay. And lastly, President Biden announced his team to lead monkeypox response. There's officially a task force. There's a SAR, and it is Robert Fenton. But here's a couple things that, that we all must remember, okay? Because the way this is being characterized doesn't add up. This is not a conspiracy theory. I'm simply going to now present you some facts that don't align, at least broadly speaking with what we're being told. This is from Wikipedia, from the 2022 monkeypox outbreak page. We have a subsection here, which full disclosure, I added. This is what I contributed to this Wikipedia page. Emergency preparedness. In March, 2021, the Nuclear Threat Initiative led a tabletop exercise at the Munich Security Conference, simulating hypothetical public health responses to the release of a genetically manipulated strain of monkeypox. I added this a month ago. It's been there a while. It has not been contested. The only one edit that has been made was an incorrect edit to say that monkeypox was one of several viruses uh, that had been looked at as potential outbreak uh, uh, culprits. That was not true. It's certainly not in the context of what I was asserting based on the source I cited, which was this document, Strengthening Global Health Systems to Prevent and Respond to High-Consequence Biological Threats. Results from the 2021 tabletop exercise conducted in partnership with the Munich Security Conference. Summary in March 2021, so on and so forth. But if you read the report, which I highly suggest you do, it is very clear this is about monkeypox. Perhaps there were other simulations going on at the Munich Security Conference, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this simulation was explicitly about monkeypox, either the intentional, or actually in this situation, it wound up being hypothetically in a fictional situation, a terrorist group that released a genetically engineered strain of monkeypox. So that's item number one. But here's something that most people aren't aware of. Item number two, this is yet another item that I 
am proud to say I helped contribute to summarizing the research of in Wikipedia. Canada was worried about smallpox in April 2022. So check this out. On April 21st, Public Services and Procurement Canada published a tender request seeking to stockpile doses of smallpox vaccine to be prepared in the event of a future accidental or intentional release of the virus. The contract for 500,000 doses closed on May 5th and was awarded to Bavarian Nordic. Bavarian Nordic is the same company that manufactures the Genios and Imvimmune. They're the same vaccine, just different countries use different names. They are the manufacturer of those vaccines, which are now being used for monkeypox. On May 5th, that contract was awarded to them, okay? But the contract went out April 21st, which is before there was any talk of monkeypox in the current context. And the order explicitly says that they are concerned about the possibility of not only an accidental, but an intentional release of smallpox. Now, on May 24th, the Public Health Agency of Canada stated they were in the process of extracting immune, imvimmune, forgive me, vaccines from the National Emergency Strategic Stockpile, which presumably they had just put in there, for deployment across the country, starting with the province of Quebec. And on May 26th, they started to be deployed, okay? And these are screenshots of the actual tender. CTV News says Canada considering smallpox vaccine for monkeypox cases, says Teresa Tam. So as you can see, the order was referring to monkeypox, or sorry, the order referred to smallpox. What we're actually undergoing is allegedly a monkeypox outbreak. So the only difference is some might say, well, Liam, it's not the same thing at all. These cannot possibly be related. It's coincidence that less than a month before we heard the first inkling of monkeypox, that the, the government of Canada put out a large tender for smallpox vaccines in a way that aligns in the wording with the scenario practiced or gone through at the Munich Security Conference. Something's weird about that. And as they note here at the bottom, okay, well, first, Health Canada has also approved that vaccine from Danish biotech company Bavaria Nordic for use to prevent monkeypox. There is still a sense of mystery surrounding the sudden appearance of the virus in Canada, the US, Australia, and several parts of Europe. I would tend to agree. Now, last but not least, as we reach the end here, okay, we have to remember criticism of, of any vaccine. Okay, in my experience, it's rarely ideological. Uh, you know, there are certainly arguments to be made. You know, there are there are those who are more religious, uh, who who are not fans of, or who are not able to, or do not want anything that's undergone testing or development with fetal cells. So all all of those things aside, all other things remaining equal, what we're saying, what I'm saying is vaccines are like any other pharmaceutical product. It would be ludicrous to be against them just from the get-go as a premise. It would be ludicrous, especially because, by the way, vaccination does not 
exclusively need to be a needle. So this isn't even a matter of fear of needles. This is, we have a product and we want it to be as safe as possible. If, if I'm going to take any kind of medicine, preventative or therapeutic, it has, I, I have to be confident it will help me and not hurt me. These shots are hurting people. And yes, everything has a risk. But have those risks been communicated to the public? They were not in the case of COVID-19 vaccines. They are not being communicated once again in the context of monkeypox. So I refer you to my friend, Albert Benavidez. Welcome the Eagle. You can find him on Rumble. Monkeypox hits VAERS July 1st. That was over a month ago. I recommend you go watch his video where he runs through the first, I believe there were three at the time, cases of monkeypox adverse events that had appeared in VAERS. Now, we're wrapping up now for real. This is a tweet that I was quoted in. Uh, Albert sent this out, his August 5th VAERS weekly pitch count. And I appreciated it so much that I thought we'd bring it up here. So this is, this is Albert's VAERS update. As of August 5th, we have, by his calculations, 29,891 deaths. There were 89 new domestic deaths recorded and 102 new foreign deaths recorded. That leaves 13,894 total domestic deaths up to this point and 16,807. As you can see here, he's got plenty of other details broken down. And to be clear, Albert's numbers don't match exactly what is seen on open VAERS or other systems because VAERS is tremendously incomplete. Uh, Albert goes through and he he cleans the data up. He corrects it. He goes and he finds instances where in the description, it's clear the age of a patient, but it's not filled out in the actual age uh, category. So you will have that not appear as whatever age that person is. So that's to explain the discrepancy. But here is the open VAERS red box system comparing once again to Albert's. Now, this was a very interesting Substack post that Matthew just posted on Rounding the Earth. The wealth theory of vaccine efficacy confounding gets a boost. Pun intended, of course. A couple of months ago, I quote Matthew, I ran some analysis on U.S. countrywide data carefully put together from several sources. What I found was that one, there were small and inconsistent correlations that pointed to vaccine efficacy. Two, these correlations match perfectly with country wealth differentials. And three, the country level mortality data from 2019 was highly predictive of the same data from 2021, just slightly scaled. In other words, the mild vaccine efficacy noted in US statistics that does not seem to match results from elsewhere in the world, much less global summaries, seems to be entirely explained by wealth effects that do not otherwise fall into variable categories we usually examine. I will let you go ahead and read the rest. It's quite wonderful. Now, that leads us to how you can support Rounding the Earth. There are a few ways you can do this, and we would really appreciate if you do, because we are very fortunate to have an audience that has grown on Substack. I believe it's over 18,000 subscribers, and we want to now translate that over into the video sphere. I know I'm a video guy. I love to read, but I also love to hear the voices of the people I'm 
engaging with as well as see their faces. We want to continue doing more of that with you and beyond just Matthew and I. So here's what you can do. First of all, become a paid subscriber of the Rounding the Earth newsletter on Substack. If you're already a free subscriber, I recommend you go and upgrade. Give us a rumble rant during this live stream. If you're on rumble right now, you will look to your right and you will see a chat box where you can go in and essentially send us a paid comment, a sponsored comment, a featured comment, you might say. You can also tip us $5 on Rockfin. And I'm going to show you how to do that. It's surprisingly easy. And we have a few other things in the works. One of the things you're going to be able to do is sponsor Rounding the Earth more directly. And that includes through advertising. But look, there's going to be more details on that to come because we don't want to do what everyone else is doing. We want to deliver advertisements and sponsorships that are exactly in line with not the specific stances we take on things, but more largely the process of education. We want things that we do to empower people. So we're going to be looking for sponsors and advertisers who help us do that. The content we share with you will always be educational and beneficial for you, and that will apply to our sponsors as well. Okay, so as you see here, this is the Substack. That's the button on the right where you can go and upgrade. This is Rumble, our Rounding the Earth channel. That's where you'll find the ability to send a super chat, or a, forgive me, a Rumble rant. And now, this is Rockfin, our newest platform that we are on. We already have 96 followers, which is I'm I'm ecstatic about. So you can go in. You'll see here there is a $5 tip button. If you click that, it looks to be very easy to enter your credit card details. Now, make sure you trust Rockfin. I do. And send us $5. It'll support us greatly, more than you can imagine. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Um, this has been a very exciting uh, new format for me to test out. It took me longer to set up, which is why I'm airing a little bit later. However, uh, I'm going to continue to adjust my process to allow this to be the highest quality possible and also air at a reliable time as I can. Finishing off with the comment from Dan Duo, excellent presentation. Wish that the TNI would present a sliver of it. Now, I think we're getting there. I think the Trusted News Initiative is sort of irrelevant now because what you're going to have is more and more people within these agencies, within these news companies that are starting to themselves encounter problems, whether it be results from the COVID-19 response itself, whether it be from adverse events of, of a vaccination, should it occur, God forbid, or whether it be some other thing they notice just isn't adding up. I think we're going to find there are a lot of good reporters who simply have not seen anything yet. And when they do, I think the Trusted News Initiative will be significantly weaker than it is now. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. You can find me at www.liamsturgis.com or at the Liam Sturgis on Twitter, and you can subscribe to Rounding the Earth and find all of Matthew's writing at www.roundingtheearth.substack.com. Thank you, and we will see you on Tuesday for a roundtable on being an effective citizen with a couple of very exciting guests. More details shortly. We'll see you later.